Okay. Here we are. Here we are. Episode 12. So. <laughs> so this is Brown Burndown. Brown Burndown. The Brown Or is this like a, a fun special. bonus? This is like a, a special. This is like our summer solstice special. <laughs> Can we call it that? Yeah, I let's call that. it that. Okay. Even though, the, even though the solstice is not for two more weeks. Alright, this is our summer solstice special. Yay. And it's also our first Celebs Have Thoughts which is a segment that we're going to be starting now um, where we'll talk to influencers in the Brown community, um, Western media in some capacity, and get their thoughts on representation, some of the projects they're working on, um, and some of the things they're excited about and things that they're not excited about. So we're excited to start that off this week with Kieran Rye, um, also known as K-Ray on social media. Uh, she's awesome. We're so happy to share a conversation with her, with you all. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to do our regularly scheduled segments. Um, and we know that we might have a few new listeners joining us, so wanted to start off by giving you guys a brief summary, intro? Yeah, a brief intro to who we are. So... My name is Rabs. And I'm Tars. And so we are two recent college graduates. We're both Indian American. And we became friends many moons ago. Almost a decade ago. On, um, yeah, we're not that recent. Not that recent, yeah. <laughs> because of our shared love of pop culture. And specifically, brown people in Western pop culture. So we... We did some research. We found that there really wasn't a space that where these ideas and issues were discussed. So we decided that we should create it for ourselves. Yeah. And just a quick disclaimer is that we are for sure haters. We own it. We accept it. We're, we're calling it out now. So if you're not about that, leave now. Um, and we call things out when we see BS, yeah. when we see brown people not living up to what we expect for them when they're representing our community, we call them out. Um, and we celebrate them when they are, but if we're hating, it's because you deserved it. <laughs> I'd like to. Think. Yeah. But given that we are uh, self-proclaimed haters, we are also open to feedback. Um, and so if we're going to dish it, we got to take it. So if you have any concerns or um, if we made any factual errors, we really love to hear your thoughts um, at thebrownburndown at gmail.com. So email us. Yeah. We're also lovers in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> lovers of a good email. Yes, yes. So let's get into it, Tars. Yeah. We start our, our podcast episodes with uh, lingering thoughts, but we did have some lingering thoughts from our last episode, which if you haven't listened to it yet, you should. It was about the new blockbuster hit, Aladdin. Even before we get into our like official lingering thoughts, um, have you noticed that there aren't any, like those actors are not on the covers of any magazines like if you stroll through yeah. a grocery store oh that's a good point yeah 
It's like Chopra is on the cover of some random magazine right now, but like, like for context, Sophie Turner, who's starring in Dark Phoenix right now, is everywhere. Like you yeah. can't escape her. But right. the actually the actual biggest movie, which was Aladdin, you can't find those actors anywhere. And I remember there was uh when they first announced the mm. cast of Aladdin, they did like a promotional poster, and it's like only Will Smith, like only mm. Will Smith, which. I get it, like, he's the biggest name in this movie, which is probably why they wanted to sell it with him, but, like, not even putting the main actor who plays the titular character, that feels very wrong, too. Yeah, it's like, this could have been a star vehicle for him, and he's really good in it, and so is Naomi Scott. Nowhere to be found. Yeah. Well, this kind of goes back into, like, the whole, we talked a lot about uh, how the story of Aladdin was, has been very... Uh, it's a story that probably has Syrian roots, possibly has Syrian roots, I should say. The origin mm. isn't totally clear. But it's been bastardized with like Western influences through its retelling. And I think one of the most stark uh, examples of that is just in the pronunciation of the name Aladdin. Like, we mm. say Aladdin. My dad says that all the time. He, like, makes a lot. He's like, what is this Aladdin? Yeah, Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> Aladdin, right, exactly. So, like, we should probably call ourselves out for that. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like we discussed last week, this movie was not made by people from the Middle East. So, there's that. Yeah. So, there's that. Could you imagine um, if they had, though, and they decided to change the pronunciation? To Aladdin? Oh, my God. I It would have been such a fun moment if this was, like, a moment that brown people decided to school, like, white people on their culture. And they were like, yeah, we're going to, like, re- we're going to do a live-action version of Aladdin. But, like, it's going to be actually accurate and the pronunciation is going to be right. And we're going to have actual Arabic in the story. And it's going to be just translated. And you're going to appreciate it because you claim to like the original. And this is what it actually is. So, like, enjoy. Yeah, so that's our Aladdin piece. Um... The next one is very tangentially a lingering thought, but we were talking about this because way back when we talked about celebrity encounters that we've had, um, and we talked about some embarrassing Bachelor ones that Rabs has had, um, but we also talked about our, like, best legitimate celebrity encounters, which is when we danced with Shah Rukh Khan in college. There's a YouTube video. You can watch it. Um, anyway, so Shah Rukh Khan came to Yale, and we met him, and he was a Chubbs fellow, which is and this, like lifetime achievement award. I feel like the other one who got it that year was Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman won it one year, yeah. Uh, it been like Nick Kristoff won it the year before. It's truly a wide, wide yes. spectrum. It's so it's so it's a wide spectrum. Um, but anyway, Aung San Suu Kyi is she's the state counselor, but that basically means that she's the prime minister, um, of Myanmar. And at one point, she was really lauded as this, like, um, beacon of democracy. She won the Nobel Peace Prize. Like, she was really, really well-respected. And she was um, sort of kept under house arrest for many, many years. And then when she came out, she received her Nobel Peace Prize. And a few years later, she also received this Chubbs Fellowship from Yale, which is, like, not, like, necessarily up there in terms of prestigious prizes. And it's in no way comparable to the Nobel Peace Prize, but still... um, she was really greatly honored, and we were just talking this week about how um, her, I don't even know if it's a fall from grace, but her turn towards sort of, like, right-wing 
almost radicalization. It's a fall from grace. It's like pretty much objectively a fall from grace, I would say. Yeah. So she um, went to Hungary to meet with Viktor Orban, who's the who's the prime minister of Hungary, to talk about the growing Muslim populations and how to kind of deal with this growing uh, this growing threat of like Islam and just basically promoting an Islamophobic agenda, which is just. Oh, it's so hard. Horrible. And this this article that we read, okay, it was from Vox. Love Vox. Love Vox. But um, in it, they were talking about how, like, obviously, a lot of activists are calling on the Nobel Committee to revoke her prize, and they haven't done anything about it yet. But a lot of prizes that she's won, um, an award she's been given, they've revoked them now ever mm. since she's done this. But not the Chubbs. But not Chubbs, or Get Chubb, on it, Chubb you. rather. Oh, is it Chubb? <laughs> yeah, um, so that's that. That's not great. Pretty so that's really bad and very serious and not necessarily on brand with what we usually talk about, but um, it made us really upset, so we wanted to bring it up. Okay, sharp pivot to lighter content. <laughs> We uh, heard about some new content from our friends. So um, <laughs> I don't even know how we can talk about this now. But um, the Jonas Brothers have a new documentary out. It's on Amazon. It's called Chasing Happiness, I want to say. Um, so for those of you who are new listeners, the Jonas Brothers are not brown, in case that wasn't In apparent. case you didn't know. Because <laughs> I don't know. Some of the stuff Nick has been doing. But our podcast is founded from... Uh, a friendly, uh, a warmly critical It's critical. Discussion. We just want them to improve. And I think all of our negativity stems from our positive feelings to who Priyanka Chopra is. So we think that she could do better, which the, the media, the Western media has taken the opposite view, but I think we're very much like team Priyanka. Yeah. Anyway, because of that, we, like, talk about the Jonas Brothers more than we should. And apparently they have a new documentary, and listener Ange um, hasn't seen it, but she read an article <laughs> that says um, that apparently the Jonas Brothers disbanded, and they bl- and Nick and Joe blamed Kevin because he didn't want to be in the band anymore after he married, she says Nicole, but she means Danielle Jonas, who... <laughs> and, Come <seriously>. on, Ange. <laughs> um... But um, then they took some time to, quote-unquote, fall in love, and then they decided to get back together, which is just lol. LOL. Kevin Kevin really ruins things for everyone. (laughs) He just really does. If Um, you listened last week, we discussed the theory that Kevin Jonas is the reason Donald Trump got elected. So go listen to that. That was super – I think that was the most interesting part of our last episode. I mean, it's a very interesting theory, and I believe it. So, hashtag Kevin ruins everything. <laughs> and then the last thing um, is that Mindy Kaling has a new movie out that is called Late Night that has really good reviews, and we're so excited to see it. I feel like she's put a lot of stuff out there recently that's like maybe not been that well received since the Mindy project ended. She's given a lot of interviews about how she was a diversity hire for the office and how that like shaped her perception of herself and. Um, how embarrassed she was about that, but, you know, how diversity hiring can lead to incredibly great things, like giving the world Mindy Kaling. So, very excited to see it. 
Me too. I'm excited. So um, our next segment that we usually do is thoughts from our friends, which we kind of already covered since Ange has been giving us great content. Thanks, mm-hmm. Ange. Ange delivers every week. So Yeah. Love you, Ange. Um, and this is a really exciting segment for all of our listeners because if you truly have thoughts and you email us at thebrownburndown at gmail.com, not only will we feature your thoughts here, but you could win our special prize which we have our winner for our first special prize will be featured next week. Yeah. Um, so we don't have any other thoughts for our friends. <laughs> Except that our siblings liked it. And yeah. <laughs> that's the high space. My sibling said that Aladdin gave the brown community Halloween costumes, so we should all be thankful for Aladdin. And you can't argue with that. Oh yeah, okay, so our last segment is, as we alluded to, we owe a lot of our of our origin story to Priyanka, so we, Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas, so we have the section that we call hashtag Nick Yanka Watch 2K19, um, where we just update you on what they've been up to. So, yeah. Rabs, what have they been up to this week? Well, Tars, <laughs> as, as you let me know, they allegedly... <laughs> Um, Nick Jonas gave this interview where he alluded to the fact that maybe he and Priyanka would, like, disappear from the limelight, avoid the press and the media's attention, and just, like, go live on a ranch or slash farm. Farm slash ranch. I think it's a ranch. Lol. Which is, this is just hilarious because, okay, if you've listened to our podcast, you know that their entire relationship is basically, like, it's a, not a two-person relationship. It's a three-person relationship, and the third person is the, like, Western media that yeah. has, like, <laughs> straight up fueled their relationship, kept them relevant. Um, anything they do say where, like, it's in the media. So, because they let it be. You know, like, they let it be. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see it. And I love it was the irony of him telling the press that he wants to hide from the press was just, it's, it's just too good. I didn't even think, yes, that's so, it's just, it's so classic. Yeah. We, you love this. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's what they've been up to. And then the other thing was, um, this isn't a recent thing, but we didn't actually get to talk about this when we talked about the Met Gala, um, that Priyanka, Nick, we talked about how Nick's outfit was, like, kind of appropriative of Indian culture, but, like, for some reason was turned into a Game of Thrones reference, even though we also talked about how Game of Thrones costumes are really appropriative, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, listen to our Game of Thrones episode if you want to hear about that. Um, but also Priyanka's, there was a lot of jokes about how, um, Nick looks like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones and Priyanka looks like Missandei from Game of Thrones. And the reason she looked like Missandei was not because she's wearing, like, crazy makeup and, like, uh, quote-unquote camp outfit. Um, it was because of her hair. She had done her hair in a way that was, um, I, I mean, it, like she, it looked like she was trying to emulate, like, black hair. And we saw a similar thing with Blake Lively at the Detective Pikachu premiere um, maybe about a month ago where she also looked like she was basically, like, trying to be Beyonce with her natural hair. Um, Which got us sort of thinking about hair appropriation and how it can go the other way as well. Just because she is a person of color doesn't give her permission to appropriate 
another person of color's hair for for a costume purpose also like that was just added insult to injury I think exactly we're gonna talk about this more in our next episode actually we are gonna have our prize winner and listener s dog come Mm -hmm. share her thoughts um as a person of color so shall we get on to the main event let's do it this is our summer solstice (laughs) special so This is a unique episode because it is the debut of our new segment called Celebs Have Thoughts. And as Tara has mentioned before, we're really excited to have Kieran Rai, also known as Kay Ray, on our show today. She's a YouTuber, actress, director, and model. Her work has been received worldwide, and she's gotten recognition and featured in media outlets such as NBC CBC, the Toronto Star, and the BBC. Yeah, and um, she's been able to build a name through her brand over the past nine years, and she's done really cool collaborations um, for companies like Uniqlo, Foot Locker, and Adidas Canada. She's based in Canada, just outside Toronto. And she's a really awesome example of a brown emerging artist, and we're very, very excited to interview her today and have her um, be the debut uh, guest on our Celebs Have Thoughts segment. Hi, Kieran. Hi. <laughs> hey. <laughs> How's it going? So we're so excited. You are our first guest on the Brown Burndown. Um, Amazing. So I guess we'll start with the first and probably our biggest question. Um, You are a Brown actor, filmmaker, YouTuber. How did you get started with that and what inspired you to to do it? Um, I, I believe it was just so many different things that play into, you know, the decisions you make later in life, but I think the initial thing was just seeing, like, a bunch of people using YouTube as a platform, and then, you know, you see them skyrocket to becoming music mega stars, and it was, like, really cool because, you know, back in the day, how people used to use, like, you know, get famous or, like, get opportunities to be in film or acting or modeling was like they were scouted out at a mall or something like ridiculous one-off stories like that where now it's like there's this opportunity where anyone can be anywhere in the middle of nowhere and be able to connect with people all around the world yeah and just I mean that's so awesome and that's a lot about that's a lot of what we talk about on our podcast too kind of like um, how important it is for brown people who have a platform to be able to use it to share their opinions rather than shying away mm-hmm. and sort of create opportunities for other brown people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you mm-hmm. manage that sort of responsibility? Like, do you ever worry that you would say something that would maybe um, not resonate with someone in the South Asian community or that um, maybe your opinion would change? How do you feel about having that kind of tied to your person, I guess, forever? I think I'm also, I've been very much, like, I know exactly how I feel about certain things, and, you know, but all I could do is just learn more, and I think, like, I've been blessed to be around a community here in Toronto where, you know, I do have people that question and challenge me and to think better and, and, and grow and, and, you know, try to understand myself and know myself better. And I think that's been such an integral part of how I feel and what my responsibility is as a person that does have this, you know, little platform that I get to share. How do you make sure that you're not doing anything that's 
offensive, but more so creating conversation. That's that's amazing. I really resonate with that. And especially to your your earlier point about making sure that you're including everyone in who you're representing and truly believing in what you what you stand for. I think that's so important, especially to see brown women doing that. Um that sets mm-hmm. such a good example for so many brown women. And like you said, like truly from anywhere, like I was one of those kids from a very non-diverse um, upbringing uh, in mm-hmm. middle of the United States. And to just to have yeah. women in positions that are very visible, um, defending positions that, and very unapologetically also, um, knowing what's mm-hmm. right and wrong, I think that's really important. So I guess for you what was that experience like what was it like growing up in in Toronto as a a brown female I am lucky enough that I am in a in a city where there are a lot of it's the most multicultural city in the world and um I get to be around so many different types of folks from different paths of life, and it's really cool to be exposed to that. Um, I also am all around, you know, one of the largest South Asian diasporas in the world, and Toronto just happens to be the hub of uh, the hub of that. And I've been able to, you know, see my community in a different way that most people might not be able to, and. Um, and I think that's why I feel like I understand, like, the taboos and, you know, those things, because I grew up with it, and I, I you know, I had my own ignorant side where I didn't think that things were, I thought things were completely normal, when in actuality, when I stepped out of that, uh, I realized that these are things that we need to work through as a community, and um, I think that's really what influenced the work, is just that I lived I lived through it, and I think when you grow up with these types of thought processes and patterns, you think that you're supposed to be a certain way at a certain age and, you know, do all these different types of things, and for me, I even thought that I wasn't supposed to go into acting, even though that was all I wanted to do since I was a child, I think I thought was the practical thing to do, and, and, you know, and it, it was to go into psychology, for example, but... Um, you know, I made the decision afterwards that there was some time I needed to, you know, take to myself, and that's when I realized that there's nothing more that I wanted to do than to go into acting and film, and I think that when you find that for yourself, you find that purpose, you, you do nothing but make it happen, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, if I could do anything that's helpful and useful, it's like, how can I better my community? How can I elevate my community? Even though I'm going to talk about these things that affected us um, wholly, like, I think, how, how can I talk about it in a way that allows people to feel inspired instead of feeling negative, you know? And I never want to put the community in the negative light. I think uh, we have so much work to do, but there's reasons for us to be celebrated as well and and even if we are talking about taboo topics how do we tackle that in a way again that's um allowing us to feel visible being authentic and you know just being able to really share these stories and not not be afraid to do it anymore yeah 
that so when I was younger, I actually when I was very young, I wanted to be an actress as well. And I think mm. that there was like I mean I was not good, so that was barrier number one. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> barrier number two was that um, I didn't see. I would take like acting classes, and like there, everyone else in my classes would be white. And I um, mm-hmm. grew up in a city, so it wasn't lack of diversity in the city, it was for lack of diversity in these spaces. And so, mm-hmm. and I think also like what you're saying about kind of like rejection and recognizing that it's not about you and having a really strong sense mm-hmm. of self was something that mm-hmm. at least didn't necessarily resonate in my, from my upbringing where like perfection mm-hmm. was really sought after. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that, that super speaks to me. And I guess like, how were you able to overcome that? Was there something that you had in your childhood that you felt like helped you sort of become a more resilient person and, and, and able to walk down this path or is there something you wish that you had growing up that could have maybe helped make this an easier transition into a more, you know, um, I guess uncertain career path? Yeah. I think it was just like, you know, had, I think that's with anything is like, had I had like, you know, more, visible representation in the mainstream media, things like maybe if I had opportunities to get into acting young, at a younger age that I would be in it earlier, but then I feel like all the, all the things that happened in that time, all of the stuff that I've done, those, I think everything has been in preparation for me to be where I am now. But also, I think we should we should point out that you have done a lot. You have you have an audience of over seventy thousand followers. Um, you have over twenty five thousand subscribers on YouTube. Um, you have some cool projects coming up, like at Toronto Fashion Week. So, with, with all these things that you've done, what is the project that you're the most proud of, and why? Oh wow. Um... Honestly, I know this sounds super like, oh, every project is like, <laughs> but I really, I really feel like everything that I've been able to do, like, there's so many different things, like, they have, they hit different parts of me, you know, like. And then you were talking about, is it, it's Haneri, right? The, the. Yeah short film that you did about mental health right could you talk a little bit more about how you got involved with that project uh so in about 2016 we came up with this idea for making a film on mental health we were approached by a local community organization called Punjabi community health services and they do excellent work from taking care of people with addiction to domestic violence to um, elderly abuse. There's just so many different ranges that they do take care of the foundation community and they've done an excellent job. And one of the major things that they focus on is mental health. And so they did approach us to create a visual for folks that don't really understand what depression looks like um, to kind of show it in a film format that is a dramatization of what a it looks like to deal with mental health in a Punjabi household. And that's really what the film is about. I get to play the character Ruby. Um, again, this film is directed by Dr. Munda, and uh, we were funded by Bell Let's Talk, which is a huge campaign that happens here in Canada. It's nationwide, especially when we have Bell Let's Talk Day, and it creates a lot of awareness for mental health, and we had the opportunity to release the film in 2017, and since then, it's 
done an excellent job of, you know, getting people to understand what mental health looks like in the South Asian community, why is it a taboo, starting that conversation in households, and I really saw a huge change in how people respond to mental health now and how a lot of people are a lot more open and understanding their own triggers and how they can get themselves help. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. so can you, through that process, were you able to sort of understand yourself a little bit more about why there are those taboos in the South Asian community, or do you have kind of um, a better understanding of that personally? Yeah, I think it was for, like for myself, I I had opened up about my own depression and anxiety um, about two years ago, and I, or three years ago now, and uh and I remember I did a video on YouTube to talk about it, and since then I felt like it was my responsibility to advocate for young folks to open up about their mental health and how they can, you know, start talking about it more openly and publicly and um, and not be afraid to. And I think uh, it's been amazing to see the response to a lot of folks that do, you know, follow my work and, and be able to be so open. I've had messages. I've had, you know, conversations in person with people that, you know, have been on the brink and like, like really at that point where they were about to take their own life and, you know, they felt like after watching something like that really opened up their eyes and like saw, you know, themselves in it. And I think that was, I realized in that moment, like how, impactful film as that can be and um, and how much we have a responsibility to continue doing that work and I think uh, yeah I think it was like something that I even saw for myself you know the reason why I was so closed off about it was because you know I was told that it wasn't real and you know you don't it was, it was I was very emotional and I'm, I'm being lazy and like all these triggering words that can be um harmful for a lot of young folks to not really break out of what they're going through and I think it's it's hard for folks to really heal themselves when you are going through that and and you're not really getting the support you deserve um so it, it took a long time for me to really understand myself in that sense and, and doing the healing work and still doing it and I think because obviously healing is not linear but I think it's also just knowing that how how much I've grown in the last few years, just since I've been open about it, and like after, like you know, getting myself help and, and working through all of this, it's so incredible to see how many other folks also feel inspired to do the same thing for themselves. And yeah, I think it's, it just it just needs to be more more talked about. Yeah, a thousand percent. Thank you so much for for being vocal about that and, and sharing that with us. I think that's something that Rabs and I talk about with each other often and that mm-hmm. you mentioned the stigma in South Asian communities around mental health is mm-hmm. crippling for so many people. And that's so incredible that you've been able to be that support for people who see your work and that your art is just really causing social change. So, yeah, mm-hmm. thank you very thank much you. For, for that. Yeah. I want to echo the thanks also because that it takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage to not only speak up but also speak up when you are on a platform and so 
We really appreciate that you do that. Um, Okay, so switching gears just a little bit, um, can you tell us, we've talked a lot about kind of what representation, how representation is important, especially for young South Asians to have something to sort of look up to and how I think we all wish that we had more of that growing up. Where do you think, where do you think one area is where South Asian representation is lacking right now? What do you think can be improved? Writers, I think just because, and like, and cinematographers, I think there are a lot in, um, in India and Hollywood, uh, but I think if there was a lot more of that here, I mean, there are a lot that I know of, but where can we get into the mainstream and being in those writing rooms, and how do we also play a role into being, you know, able to tell our narratives without it being a stereotype that we see, right? So I think... Right. South Asian writers are so important because they're the ones who create the narrative. Yes. We yeah. one million percent agree. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. So I guess given all this, um, what's your advice to these brown aspiring artists who maybe didn't grow up with the representation that they wanted but are now starting to see that? Like how what would your advice be to them? That you are in the midst of a renaissance <laughs> and you should take full advantage of it because there are so many people to look into to inspire from to come in you know whatever you want to do at the end of the day there's so much room for everyone and I think you have to keep telling yourself that because just because one person is doing it doesn't mean there's no room for you. I think there's so many different avenues that you can play with and if there's someone that you look up to and you take from all these different people, all these different things and, and sources of inspiration, you'll be able to find what you are good at and what you want to do in your role in this world and people will come to you and it's, they'll be attracted to that because you know yourself that's what brown artists have the power to do yeah and I love what you said about like if there's someone in that space that doesn't mean that you can't be too like just because Mindy Kaling is a prominent you know writer and actor that doesn't mean that there aren't room for other brown people like tokenism has plagued minority communities for so long don't let that plague you as well I love that exactly I think that was a really lovely piece of advice and a good message I think to end on but before we say goodbye um we we do a segment on our podcast called hot takes um where we Uh it's kind of just like our chance to vent not that our the rest of our podcast isn't really that but um, (laughs) just about um something that in in culture that is bothering us um so what is one hot take that you have I think uh, you hit the mark with tokenism. I definitely think that we think diversity means let's just have a bomb face and cover of this, and we did our part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a bomb person in this room. We have one bomb person, and we feel like there's only one room, like there's only one space for all, like only one of us, you know? And I think that's where we constantly are being tokenized and um, exploited and I think my biggest thing as well is, like, brands not paying enough or, you know, um, actually really doing their work to help these these 
struggling artists to make it and be able to like you know find themselves doing the one-off like photo shoots or whatever doing them for free is not gonna cut it anymore and i think that for example i was supposed to a new agent and um the agent basically was comparing me to another brown girl that's on the roster and saying oh you know this other brown actor has this much skills and talent and this much on her resume of what she's done and I'm like okay that's good for her man (laughs) what does that have to do with me you know and she's like let me check with her contract if she is an exclusive or non-exclusive and if she is then like then we'll make sure there's room for you and I think it's like that wouldn't say that to another white actor. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so bad. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I think tokenism really plays a huge part. And even when brands think they're being progressive, there are some brands I see that think they're being progressive and, you know, they, but they also do the tokenism. They have have one trans model, they'll have one Mm. model with a chirpin on, they'll have one more. You know what I mean? It's just like, that doesn't mean that you're being yeah. progressive or you're creating space for conversation that also is focused on them. So I think that those types of things bother me a lot because you make it seem like there's only room for one. Yeah. Tokenism is not diversity. That's your hot yeah, take. Nope. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been so wonderful. Tars and I are we're thrilled to have you on our show. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's so great. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've been so lovely. Thank you for humoring us with all of our <laughs> difficulties. Uh, <laughs> <and> our <laughs> <interpersonal> <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> so all great. It's all